Hello everyone. Today I'm going to introduce you to Jeffrey Seal, who is a consultant in the China luxury space. Thank you so much, Jeffrey, for being here for us on the Retail Consumer Luxury Goods podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course, we're super happy, and we're really excited、uh, to hear about luxury in China post COVID. So I have, a, I have a first question for you. It's how do you think brands have adapted their strategies during COVID nineteen, and how have they changed since the stores have now opened? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, the China market has changed quite a bit,、um, and I think some of the changes that we've seen in China have been similar to the changes we're seeing in Western markets.、Um, all eyes have, of course, been on China for the luxury space, given that China is the largest luxury market in the world.、Um, but yeah, for your question, the customer journey has really been impacted. There have been decreased number of touch points. Um, and new touch points have also emerged, and and that's what I'll be going through today through the deck.、Um, so yeah, let's just hop right in.、Um, I'll start off the presentation today, take you through just a quick current state of the market to share a few、uh, top level numbers of how COVID nineteen has affected the retail space more broadly in China, and then the luxury space more specifically. Um, I'll walk through in more detail how the consumer journey has been affected.、Um, in China, it's a very digital market.、Um, research online, purchase offline is a key driving trend of sales for the luxury space in China. What happens after all of the offline、uh, sales channels are cut off?、Uh, I'll show you in that slide.、And、then I'll go through three of the main. Opportunities that have emerged for brands being in digital communications, live streaming, and e-commerce, and I'll wrap up with some key takeaways for the current state.、Um, so obviously, you know, the global market has had a huge impact from this pandemic.、Um, China was the first to be hit, as obviously that's where the pandemic started.、Um, it was hit primarily in January and February with. Obviously, some still、uh, decreased sales in March, but in the second quarter started to pick up. With the first、um, quarter of the year, yeah, decrease in sales in, in overall retail of about twenty percent. Bain estimates that sales contracted for the luxury sector between twenty to thirty-five percent. But what we're seeing coming into the or coming into the, the third quarter now is there's been this increase in in spending in the luxury segment. Due to what we call revenge spending,、uh, which is just coming from pent up demand or desire to purchase luxury goods that these consumers were not able to purchase through traditional offline channels. So this is what we're seeing. And now, as China has started to pick up,、um, and the Western market continues to lag, and, and with travel retail being at a A standstill, which is a key driver for the luxury industry, especially for tra traveling Chinese consumers.、Um, we're seeing a lot of international and premium brands quickly repivot their resources over to the China market、um, to think about how they can grow the business that's coming from the Chinese consumer that's already making about thirty-five、uh, percent of, of of sales,、um, and figuring out how they can further grow that market. Um, to make a、uh, to essentially hedge hedge their bets for the next year,、uh, 
um, when looking at the global sales. But let's look at how um, the customer journey in, in China has been changed. If we're to look at the sales funnel and follow all the touch points I already mentioned earlier, there's fewer touch points in China. I've just, just divided here the touch points by online and offline. So obviously offline for the most part has been taken out, which has put a lot of pressure on um, brands to be able to communicate and sell through online channels. Um, I mentioned a little bit earlier that research online purchase offline is a, a really big trend in China. In fact, it actually attributes to approximately 80% of sales. Um, so, you know, the awareness, interest part of the funnel hasn't really been impacted. Digital uh, was already being used, already had a lot of functionality. Brands are already really comfortable with these channels. That said, there are a lot of emerging platforms now that have come out and, and gained a lot of usership as users are continuing to spend more and more time online. And I'll talk about that in the next section of uh, the presentation. But looking further down to um, the purchase part of the funnel, we can see that there's been a lot of interruption here. Um, online sales really only makes up about 10% of sales in China. There are many brands who luxury brands who are still not online within the Chinese market. They're hesitant to open up distribution. Um, they're also hesitant to work with larger e-commerce platforms that are relatively newer to the luxury space. So we've seen a lot of action here in terms of growth within these existing platforms and brands looking to see how they can create a more direct-to-consumer approach. Let's continue on with um, the opportunities. So with this new customer journey and the elimination of the customer journey that we really knew before, there are four main opportunities that, that we've established and, and um, that we can see other brands are taking advantage of and moving toward. First being diversifying communications channels. Um, so I'm not sure how familiar the audience is with the, the China space, but just quickly, um, there's a few main super apps, I'd like to call them, like WeChat, Weibo, that have you know, upwards of a billion monthly active users, over 80% penetration within the China market. These are applications that brands have already been working with, especially when working on that Ropo type of strategy. Um, but now when we're seeing, again, more and more Chinese consumers spend more time online, even when stores have, have already opened, um, brands are starting to look to these emerging platforms to figure out how they, they can play into their, their China digital strategies as well. So you probably know Douyin, um, or as you probably know it as TikTok from the West. Douyin um, originated in China, it's created by ByteDance Chinese company. Um, it actually has a little bit different functionality in TikTok, but I'll, I'll talk about that in the, in the uh, digital communication section. Um, so that is definitely seen a lot of activity during COVID-19 time and also post-COVID-19. Um, Little Red Book, which was created, I believe in 2016, has also seen a lot of engagement. And um, WeChat launched a new function to compete with other apps that have more of an open content stream. Um, they opened a function called Channels, which creates 
more of an open feed so customers can explore and discover new brands. So all in all, um, brands are thinking about how they can diversify their communication strategies to maintain reach and reach the appropriate customers on some of these emerging platforms that might be really well aligned to or with the demographics of their, their core audience. Um, the second opportunity is live streaming. Um, live streaming has, you know, been around in Western markets not very long. Um, Instagram Live is probably where it's most used, Facebook likely. Um, in China, it's been around for quite a while and there's a lot of different applications that have also emerged with very different positioning that I'll go through in this presentation. Um, WeChat, again, the super app, also recently created their own live streaming function, Tanjian, which I'll talk about as well. So now when we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, stores start to reopen, um, brands are trying to think about how they can be using their offline assets to also drive online sales and vice versa. Live streaming is a really interesting opportunity for these companies to be able to use their offline sales associates to engage with their online following and get their customers to move further down the sales funnel. So I'll talk about live streaming as well. And then we also have e-commerce. So I mentioned 10% of sales here currently, but has been growing quite rapidly. There's really two different business models that brands are looking at, more direct consumer approach. So through WeChat or mini programs on the top of the e-commerce box that you see on the screen. And then also working with um, the leading e-commerce platform. So Tmall being the largest B2C platform in China uh, that they're working with. And I'll, I'll touch on that later on in the presentation as well. And then finally, further down the funnel, we have clientele and loyalty. So brands thinking about how they can create loyalty programs online to um, maintain engagement uh, and have customers come back and purchase again. And then also they're thinking about how they can be using apps like WeChat um, with their social CRM functionality. In China, the consumer is extremely fickle. They hop from brand to brand. Um, for brands who already have quite strong awareness, they're trying to think about now, this is one of the, the main challenges in the market, how they can retain these customers, especially when they're on, these brands are under um, increased financial pressure with COVID-19 and have um, increasing or decreasing uh, marketing budgets. They're trying to think about how they can increase their profitability by retaining customers that have already shopped with them in the past. Um, for the purpose of today's presentation, given our time frame, I'll just be covering the top three points as um, clientele and loyalty can get quite detailed, and that's frankly a, a whole other uh, presentation in itself. So let's get into the digital communications channels. Um, I talked about this already a little bit, uh, but just a quick voiceover for those of you who are less familiar with the China digital landscape. Um, you're probably aware there's a firewall in China. Um, when you go to China, you can't access easily 
Google, Instagram, Facebook apps that you can, you can access in Western markets. You can through VPN, but it's a really weak customer experience. It's super slow. You almost feel like you're on dial-up type of internet. So it's, it's not a great customer experience. So uh, Chinese users really use apps that have been developed for them and that are also completely developed in Chinese. There's a few of these key super apps that I mentioned earlier, WeChat being the main one with over a billion um, daily active users actually, um, that really has full functionality. That has chat function, its own mobile wallet, brands can launch their own e-commerce stores within WeChat, customers can talk directly to brands in WeChat. And so it really, it really offers everything. And then you have a lot of individual niche apps as well it's on the screen here um you know we have uh alipay which is another mobile payment system within the alibaba group ecosystem even more niche for instance there's like ulama which would be similar to uber eats in china flicky which is similar to like an expedia of china so there's an and there's a, a huge ecosystem that's unique to the the china market how has the behavior within this ecosystem changed during covid19 and after covid19 um what we found interesting is well perhaps it's intuitive um usage within the core apps increased um so looking at the core apps wechat increased by 15 percent which is still pretty impressive considering that consumers were already heavily using this app before COVID-19. Um, Weibo, which is within the Alibaba group ecosystem, um, and it's similar to like the Twitter of China, grew by 31%. But what's interesting is we're seeing higher growth come from these emerging apps that are geared towards the younger millennial Gen Z consumer. So uh, Douyin or TikTok or a little red book, for instance, Kwaisho, which I'll talk about in a little bit, or Billy Billy. Um, TikTok, uh, Douyin increased by 102% um, year over year. So quite strong growth there. So again, what are brands doing right now? They're trying to see with this increased use of digital, how can they um, diversify their channel strategy to make sure that they're maintaining reach across the ecosystem. And so let's talk about a few of these emerging apps that you might be a little bit less develop, uh, less uh, aware of. So you probably know, or maybe you're not quite in the demographic. I'm not a, exactly in the demographic of, of, of TikTok. It's more of a Gen Z app in China it is as well. It's really catered towards a younger audience, also a millennial audience, but a bit lighter. And um, it's, it's, it's similar to TikTok has it's really built around short video um functionality but it has increased functionality um Douyin, again was created before tiktok it was created in china by ByteDance. it's really seen as the guinea pig of tiktok so if you ever want to know just a, a little pro tip uh, if you ever want to know what's going to be coming down the pipeline for for tiktok you can really look at, at Douyin and what it's doing Hopefully you can you can speak some Chinese or read some Chinese so you can navigate that. Um, but yeah, all the all the functions are really tested on Douyin first, so increased functionality. Um, they have a partnership with with Tmall and Taobao, so one 
One function that's been built out recently is being able to link directly from video to a brand store on Tmall to make these videos shoppable. So I would expect this is something we could probably see from TikTok um, in the coming, well, uh, it moves a little bit slower in the West, but maybe in, in, a, in a few months or later on in 2020 or 2021. Um, it's something to be aware of. Um, in terms of numbers, how big is this application? It's 400 million daily active users, which is quite impressive given that the app was created in 2016. Um, comparing that back to the 1 billion daily active users of WeChat, uh, WeChat was built or, or developed in 2011. So yeah, quite impressive how they're able to develop this really high number of users within a, sh a pretty short time frame. Um, a lot of the users on this platform are KOLs. You may have heard that term before, KOL, key opinion leader or social media influencer. Um, but then also a lot of the people who are using the applications are users. It's, a, it's an app that's built around user-generated content, which is also um, something that's relatively emerging within China, uh, within the space of brands trying to figure out how they can work with these UGC platforms to market themselves. Um, similar to Western markets, Douyin is targeted towards a younger audience and, and uh, its demographics are quite young, with a third of users being between 20 to 24 years old. This matches up quite well with the um, the Chinese luxury consumer, who's quite a bit younger from the Western luxury consumer. So they're about 10 to 15 years younger than the average luxury consumer in North America and in European markets. So Douyin becomes a really interesting application for luxury brands uh, to work with when they're looking at um, targeting the, the younger Chinese consumer. And it might be an app that they have been hesitant to work with, um, from a positioning standpoint, but in China, we're seeing more and more um, brands break the rules and, and be a little bit more risk-taking when it comes to positioning so that they can speak to this younger audience that's more digitally connected and is looking to engage with the brand in a more playful way. Um, the next app I just wanted to pause on is Red, also called Little Red book or in Chinese, Xiaohongshu. Um, it is kind of like a hybrid of Instagram and Pinterest. That's how I would best describe it. Um, also quite young app, I think created in 2016, 100 million daily active users, so still pretty big um, usership, quite female, 87% female users. Um, and it's also upper, upper middle income users on this app, primarily. Um, what this app is and why it was created, essentially it was created as a UGC app for women to be able to share a product that they were purchasing overseas and show it off to their friends. So naturally this provides a really interesting platform for foreign brands to be able to market themselves to customers who are actively trying to learn about um, brands from other markets. 
Um, so we've seen, yeah, a, a lot of increased activity on, on Little Red Book and increasing number of partnerships between Little Red Book and luxury brands um, with Louis Vuitton actually opening a flagship store on Little Red Book, which was a first for an LVMH brand to make that type of move. Um, also, it was the first time that Louis Vuitton uh, opened an e-commerce platform um, outside of their own like brand-owned sites. So that was quite a big industry move this year as well. And there's already over uh, now 26,000 brand pages or brand accounts on the platform. So something, this is uh, for sure a platform that is uh, very relevant to brands at this time, especially if they're looking to build awareness in the, in the China market um, and also educate the consumer on, on the background of, of their brand. Um, it is, with its female demographic, it is more of a fashion-focused and beauty-focused brand. So, yeah, more aligned with the fashion and, and beauty brands within the luxury space more specifically. And then finally, um, there's been some changes within the mega, these, these super apps like WeChat, um, to try to compete with some of these more UGC-focused uh, applications. Before, um, WeChat was a little bit more of a closed environment. Um, brands were able to have their own official accounts, so the column that you can see on the right here, where they would create their official accounts and they could send out um, four posts or pushes per month to their users or to their followers. So these are people who have already actively followed them on the platform. Um, so they didn't have any sort of public, WeChat didn't have any sort of public feed where you can scroll in naturally or organically discover new brands. You had to actively follow these brands to begin with to receive their, their limited amount of content per month. Um, now, with consumers spending more time online and looking to um, engage with digital platforms more deeply, WeChat has introduced a new um, channel or function within its platform or application called WeChat Channels, which essentially creates a feed within WeChat that allows for brands to push an unlimited amount of content per month. Um, and it also allows for followers to be able to engage with that content and tag in friends so that more and more users can then be introduced to new brands and new content. So this is increasingly a, a function that brands are trying to take advantage of to increase their reach and awareness through WeChat, whereas before it was quite expensive to be able to, to have to essentially pay for traffic to come to your official account that you created and then follow your site. Now they can more organically reach new audiences. So this is, is now being taken into account when creating new digital strategies for luxury brands in China. Let's get to the next section, live streaming. So I know this has been um, a big topic in China for a while and um, increasingly a topic in Western markets. And I know you guys are probably curious about this one. Um, what does this currently look like 
in China today. With COVID-19, I mean, similar to the West, um, offline events have been canceled, postponed, continue to be postponed, as there's still limits on the size of gatherings that can happen within China. Um, one of the biggest shifts that we saw this year has been the move of Shanghai Fashion Week online. So Shanghai Fashion Week created a partnership with Tmall, um, where they also live streamed many of the events on the Tmall platform and then made them shoppable through Tmall, which is quite interesting. Now we're starting to see that type of discussion happen with fashion weeks in Western markets. And I know Instagram has been talking about how brands can think about um, moving their fashion weeks online. So perhaps there's some key learnings that can be taken from this initiative as well uh, that could be applied to, to Western markets. Um, but not only these types of like sales activities are being launched online, there's a lot of really inventive entertainment, brand building events that are being launched online as well. So here's like a fun one, just in a, as an example, W Hotels created this live streaming event where they brought in a DJ to have essentially like a, a DJ live streaming party where you could dance all together with a bunch of your friends, the DJ playing on the, on the other end of, of the live stream, which is pretty fun. So brands are pretty inventive in China and they're really trying to think about how they can use these tools to, again, create something new that's, that's innovative and entertaining for that younger consumer that is a millennial Gen Z who is driving a lot of the growth within the luxury segment. So they're being quite playful with, with digital and, and pushing a lot of the boundaries here. Um, in terms of the numbers, <clears throat> so there's a few apps that really founded themselves in, in um, live streaming that have smaller userships, so they just have more limited uh, features. But some of these super apps like WeChat, again, um, have also introduced their own live streaming functions, which has rapidly increased in adoption, given that they already have a pretty strong monthly active user base. Um, so that's, that's an interesting move. Kanjian, uh, again, being the main function here to be aware of, um, to check into if you're if a brand is already present on, on WeChat, it should for sure be looking into building out content on Kandian. And the e-commerce platforms as well, so Taobao and Tmall, the orange and red icons that you're seeing, the second in from the left on the screen, um, they have also built their own live streaming functions directly within the shopping platform. Um, and that's actually a, reflects a broader trend that we're seeing in the market now, where um, you know these it's it's the convergence of, 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 of domains. The social media um, applications are increasing their capabilities when it comes to e-commerce and building in e-commerce functionalities, whereas the e-commerce platforms are trying to keep the users on their platforms for longer. I am trying to entertain the users, get them to come to the platform to spend time, not just to shop. So they're vertically integrating as well and trying to build in their own social media type 
of functionality uh, with live streaming being a large part of this. Um, so Taobao and Tmall have been quite successful with this and have driven quite a bit of sales through, through this functionality. Um, Douyin, which started purely as like a recorded um, short video application also added in the function of Douyin Live. So now you can live stream directly within Douyin, which is also interesting. Um, this also is, again, it's a UGC app. So brands and um, users can create content and live streams. So there's a little bit more flexibility here in how you can engage with Douyin compared to WeChat and Taobao and Tmall, which are purely brand-generated content sites. There's no UGC portion to that. Um, <clears throat> so something to keep an eye on, again, if you're trying to reach that younger consumer. And then finally, there's two other apps that um, I would think many of you would be less aware of. Um, Kwaisho, which is a very, a more niche live stream application, one of the first live stream applications that was developed within China, um, but it's really positioned around sharing everyday content. So think KOLs sharing their everyday activities on, on the live stream. So watching your favorite KOL eat their dinner or uh, go shopping or go to a party with their friends. This is the type of content that you would be watching on, on Kwasho. Um, it's, so, you know, here again, it's, it's more emerging. Um, there isn't that much brand generated content for luxury brands, given its positioning, a little bit more difficult to figure out how brands can naturally fit in the picture, unless you're working with the right KOL um, within Kwasho that aligns itself well to, the, to your brand. Um, one thing I think to note that's important here is that the usership is also more from the rural areas of China. There's been a lot of discussion about this in China too. Um, traditionally, a lot of sales within China came from tier one, tier two cities. So the more economically developed cities in China, Shanghai, Beijing, Shenzhen, Chengdu. Um, but increasingly, we're seeing growth come from the tier three, tier four, tier five cities in China. This is an application that, that um, has high penetration within these markets. So if you are a brand that is looking to build a strategy that's uh, focused on capturing a lot of that growth that's happening within these markets, it could be a really interesting uh, communication platform to be integrating into your strategy. Billy Billy is the final one that I'll mention. Another live streaming app that is positioned pretty uniquely. Originally positioned around anime, sharing content focused on anime and gaming. Now going into more categories, going into like e-commerce a little bit, um, even introducing education as a broader topic. Um, but yeah, still emerging, low amounts of brand generated content. It's still very UGC focused. For luxury brands, a little bit more difficult to figure out how you can be working with this platform. Um, but again, it's, it's a more niche platform that could work depending on your brand and your, your, your customer demographics. Um, this customer is very uh, male focused. There's a lot of male users compared to, well, uh, on, on the 
uh, application, not as many female users. Um, so if you do have like a menswear bread, for instance, perhaps um, it could be an interesting app to look at if you're looking to market to more of a, a male audience. So that, that kind of sums up um, live streaming. I'll get to some key takeaways at the end, uh, but to get into the next section, which is the, the final main opportunity that I like to mention is e-commerce. Um, e-commerce in China, I mentioned earlier, currently it's only about 10% of sales for the luxury sector, although it has much higher penetration for um, FMCG categories. Um, that said, again, research online purchase offline in China as a key driver of sales. It's 80%, it attributes about 80% of sales. And what does that, what does that really look like? Um, you know, it's, it's quite common to go into store to see a consumer, Chinese consumer, looking at a price of a product offline and trying to go onto Tmall to try to see if the price is, is lower online or maybe they go on to Juhu to see, it, which is a, a, forum, a forum platform, to see if product experts are saying anything specific about um, the product that they're looking for. They go on to Little Red Book to see what their KOLs are particularly recommending uh, when it comes to a specific product within a specific brand. So consumers are really using digital they're using mobile a lot when they're in store in fact it's about the chinese consumer is using their phone almost two times more than the, the average western consumer when they're in store uh, when they're trying to shop so i think um you know when we're thinking e-commerce in china um it's it's not only a sales channel although for sure it is it's still 10 percent of sales that you can be generating through through e-commerce but it's also a marketing channel that can help drive your offline sales. That said, within COVID-19, this period and after we've seen sustained growth, uh, we've seen a lot of growth come from, from e-commerce. The final numbers are still yet to be determined, so we're still waiting on these, but just for a few brands, you know, we've already seen brands like Noncom, Estee Lauder reporting over 100% year-over-year growth uh, for the same period last year. So, you know, obviously that's a lot of sales from offline that are now being shifted onto online. But um, you know, this is, this type of uh, period is making the Chinese consumer more and more comfortable with making luxury purchases online. So we expect to see um, hot, even higher percent of sales coming from online in, in the months and years to come. Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, if we were to look back at the SARS epidemic in China, the SARS epidemic was actually one of the key contributors of e-commerce penetration in, in China. Um, so we would expect COVID-19 to have a similar effect when it comes to um, the, the luxury market and could act as a, a, a catalyst for, for e-commerce penetration. And what are your, your options here? How are brands right now looking at using e-commerce? Um, so there's, again, the two main ways. I'll start off with, with WeChat, which is more of a direct consumer type of model where brands have a lot of control. Um, the platform is very flexible. You have a lot of uh, customizability here. Um, 
you can, for brands who are newer to the market, you can create a pop-up type of model. So for brands who are not as comfortable with e-commerce or exploring e-commerce for the first time, this is often how they'll look at entering the market through this type of, type of pop-up. Often brands will also try to think about um, their merchandise merchandising strategy when they're considering their offline merchandising strategy in China uh, and trying to create a unique value proposition for their pop-up store. What we've seen, especially in these last few months, is uh, increasing popularity in these types of drop collections or drop retail, where there's online exclusive collections that are made available for a limited amount of time on a WeChat pop-up store, for example. Um, so this is, is something really interesting to look at that doesn't require uh, too high a level of investment um, that can be run for a temporary basis to get some sort of proof of concept before investing further. But for brands who are more established in the market and have more resources dedicated to China, um, perhaps they have a more robust digital team in China and more internal capabilities, um, many of these brands are looking to create permanent WeChat stores that just have increased functionality. Perhaps they also will have um, different merchandise, like more merchandise on the platform typically uh, will have uh, you know, their full product assortment. Um, there's also increased functionality when it comes to linking in your WeChat store with your, your database, so perhaps Salesforce, um, and linking it with, with a CRM system or a loyalty program that you would have. You can, of course, build your own loyalty program directly within WeChat, but you can also link this data with your offline uh, loyalty or CRM program data coming from your offline stores. So now, especially during this COVID-19 period and this post-COVID-19 period, where we're seeing um, a more equal balance between online and offline purchases, becomes more and more important to link that data together so you can get a full idea of who that customer is. So you can you can better target them later on. Um, and then the final opportunity that has been around really since um, 2017 is Tmall flagship store. Um, I mean, Tmall has been around since before then, but Tmall Luxury Pavilion, which is their app within the app, launched back in 2017. I actually was, I was previously working for Alibaba Group on their Tmall Luxury Pavilion uh, business development team in Hangzhou, China, back when they launched in 2017. At the beginning, it was really launched uh, as a platform, within a platform, kind of like a startup. I was a pretty lean team. Um, but essentially, it was a platform that was created to be able to create an environment that's exclusively for luxury brands. So luxury brands could feel protected uh, in that they weren't being placed directly beside an FMCG product or brand. Uh, so they're, they're protected with the environment, but at the same time, it's linked to the broader Tmall platform that has the 700 mil, over 700 million uh, monthly active users who are shopping on this platform. So really interesting 
platform for brands to take advantage of as, uh, where they can really reach a broader audience base. I think something that's really unique for the Tmall platform, um, especially if you're comparing it to uh, a Western e-commerce platform, is people are using it differently. Um, on average, people are using Tmall 20 minutes a day. Um, they are accessing the app seven times a day. And they're really accessing the app not just to shop, but they really want to use it as a as um, a source of entertainment. Um, you know, it's, it's Tmall has a lot of, of, of data. And with this, they're able to create very tailored product recommendations on their homepage. And what you see here is actually a pretty even split between purchases that are being made on this homepage and through search. So I think that's quite unique, especially if you're, you're comparing it to something like like Amazon. The reason for this is, is T-Ball is, is part of the broader Alibaba group ecosystem. And with this, um, T-Ball is able to draw in all this data that is being captured across the broader ecosystem. So Alibaba is not just e-commerce, of course, that's a large part of their business, um, T-Ball uh, and Taba. They also have a host of digital media businesses, Weibo, uh, being the, tick, uh, the Twitter of China, um, uh, Yoku, which is similar to like the YouTube of China, that's and has many others, but those are the two main ones. Um, so that's within the Alibaba ecosystem. Also has a host of local services, including Ulema, similar to like an Uber Eats or, or Fliggy, Expedia, which I mentioned earlier. Um, which is within the local services. And then, of course, on top of that has Alipay, um, which is one of the predominant mobile payment systems within China, part of Penn Financial. And at the core of this full group, Alibaba has what's called a uni ID uh, tied to their, their uni marketing, unique identification number, which ties all of this user data together. Um, from across each of these business units. And at the core of this, essentially, they have 700 million monthly active users with over 500 data touch points um, that they're able to tie all together to really get a full view on who that customer is. So when you're thinking back to that, that product recommendation page, you can really uh, start to understand how they can get to really targeted um, uh, product recommendations, even down to your personal aesthetic, uh, even just like personal experience. For me, they can really get it down to knowing that I like this clean Scandinavian um, type of look. They can get down to that type of level. So it becomes enjoyable for the user to go through the homepage and explore new products and be you know, excited by what product they could find uh, from a brand that they might not even know yet um, or, uh, or some product that they haven't considered yet. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why you see that, that even split there. Um, so yeah, I think with, with that explanation, um, Tmall is a really interesting platform to consider not only as a sales channel, but also a marketing channel because you, from that type of, uh, consumer behavior, it is uh, easier to 
get in front of consumers compared to launching your brand on, on WeChat, which is more of a closed ecosystem and becomes difficult um, to market yourself to a new customer base organically because users have to actively follow your account. Although now with this channels function that I introduced you guys to, there's a little bit more opportunity there. So we're waiting to see how that plays out. Um, so yeah, it's, it's also an interesting marketing channel. Um, that said, it's, it's quite an expensive platform to start on. Um, its fees actually aren't that pricey, but what is pricey um, is the inbound marketing, which you'll kind of be quoted should be about um, between 10 to 20% of your gross, your predicted gross merchandise value on your Tmall store that you should be allocating. Uh, towards your inbound marketing spend. So, and that really depends on your brand's objectives and the level of maturity that you have in the market. Um, but certainly it's a strong tool uh, for a brand to do have the resources who are looking to drive results quickly. Um, so that kind of sums up, I think the key opportunities within the market right now um, that have emerged or have been uh, really the focus during this, this COVID-19 period or even coming out of COVID-19. Um, so to sum up, I think there's three key takeaways from each of those three opportunities. The first one, um, with, again, the increased use of digital and increased screen time on mobile, users are increasingly using these emerging apps, not only the super apps. So we're seeing brands start to diversify their communication channels outside of just of these super apps. So again, like each of these emerging platforms can be quite niche and they may or may not work for your brand. So it really depends on what your brand is selling, who your customer audience is and what your business objectives and resources are as well that will help you determine um, what channels are right for you. But really developing a diversified communication strategy uh, will be key going forward. Second main takeaway is it's important to invest in live streaming. Um, again, a large number of options here, um, but we have seen that Chinese consumers really enjoy engaging with live streaming and they and live streaming can be a strong sales channel as well. Um, it's also important to try and figure out how you can be using your existing assets. So perhaps these are, you know, your sales associates that you're using to be your brand advocates on, on your live streaming channels or um, what we've seen, I've seen, uh, some brands do, some luxury watch brands do, for instance, is bring in their, their head of heritage or their head of creative um, onto the live stream to engage and interact with their customers um, and educate customers more on their brand and, and on new collections that have been developed as well. So that's been quite successful in China um, and has been something that more and more brands have been exploring, again, as they're looking to reach this younger audience that's increasingly using this, this type of platform. And then finally, uh, for brands that have been hesitant to launch on e-commerce, I think really now is the time to open up distribution, launch on e-commerce, 
perhaps for brands who are more tight on resources or a little bit more hesitant, they might look to launch with more of a pop-up type of model using WeChat, um, maybe try um, drop retail to see with these drop product drops. Um, if, if that yields results for them and they can develop these types of merchandising strategies, or if they are a brand that has already significant following within China and they have strong offline presence, and it could be a really good time to look at launching on Tmall um, to generate sustained, uh, sustainable um, sales channel and then also be able to reach you know, this, this massive audience of over 700 million monthly active users. And um, so, yeah, I think that COVID-19 has been a really difficult time overall, but in summary for the luxury market, um, it's been a period of change and it's been a period of innovation that I think will bring a lot of uh, new life and a breath of fresh air to the industry. Um, which I think is what everyone's really been waiting for these last few years. And that's where I'll end it. So thank you so much for, for having me today. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. This was absolutely wonderful. And thank you for taking the time today.